Let's take up our Bibles together and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. As we take up an understanding of the benefits given to us in Christ's ascension. And so we'll work our way through those first few verses as well, just understanding again the point of the ascension still being a proof of the wonder of what God has done for us in our salvation, being able then to see the power at work hearing that read in terms of the spirit who would be poured out, but then also that perspective of that which we are to be given to as his body, as those who continue to worship an ascended Lord together. So let's hear these words, Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, we bow ourselves before the truth of his holy and errant, infallible and inspired word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Let's also pick up our Trinity Psalters, turning to the copy there of the Heidelberg Catechism on page 879. 879 there on the right-hand side of that page, hearing the truths of questions 46 through 49. What do you mean by saying he ascended to heaven? That Christ, while his disciples watched, was taken up from the earth into heaven and remains there on our behalf until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. But isn't Christ with us until the end of the world as he promised us? Christ is true man and true God. In his human nature, Christ is not now on earth, but in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. If his humanity is not present wherever his divinity is, then aren't the two natures of Christ separated from each other? Certainly not. Since divinity is not limited and is present everywhere, it is evident that Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of the humanity that has been taken on. But at the same time, his divinity is in and remains personally united to his humanity. So then how does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ our head will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends his spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge. By the spirit's power, we seek not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is sitting at God's right hand. Thus far, our confession. Will you pray with me? Our Lord and heavenly fathers, we bow our hearts before your word. We thank you that it is the word of a king given to us. 
And so as your servants, Lord, we seek to order our lives in a way that is pleasing to you as those who live in the midst of your kingdom come and still coming. And so we pray, Father, that you would open our hearts by way of your Holy Spirit, that you would remove from us any distraction, Father, that you would help us to be able by the work of that Spirit to connect even to the words that are spoken, any number of things that have been taught to us by faithful pastors and teachers in the past, those things that we read, Father, your word that you have continued to plant deeply in our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that in the proclamation of your word, sinners would hear and be called to repentance and faith, that the saints, Father, would be brought again before your throne to say thank you, and that, Father, we would be sent out to make you known. And so would you hear us and be near to us. Thank you that you are, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation beloved of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, have you ever told anyone about the ascension of Jesus Christ? I mean, had like a, a real conversation about how just totally excited and thankful you are that Christ is in his place at the right hand of the Father. Maybe you've given at least some bit of Ascension Day and what does that mean on that somewhat to the world random Thursday night where we get together and, and celebrate the truth of that which we've read, given them at least a Cliff Notes version of what is Ascension Day all about. And so what do you mean by saying he ascended to heaven? And the struggle that we have there is that, I mean, in some ways, as we go and talk to people in the world, they can understand at least a little bit of crucifixion. They, they could even try to make some kind of connection to resurrection, but this one is very different. There isn't something that, that they're going to be able to make a connection to. After all, why would he ascend? I mean, most of the people that we would talk to would say, it would be really great if I could go and see Jesus if I could talk to him, if I really knew he was there, wouldn't it be better? How can someone in our flesh be in heaven right now? And, and so perhaps we struggle to share, but then we're met with a, a question and answer where now we're talking divinity and humanity and we're talking natures of Christ. And, and so we're almost bound up. Like I, I don't know what to say about it. I don't know what to share about it. I don't know what my hope is in these things. But what ought to be the summary of our account of these things? <clears throat> that Christ, while his disciples watched, was taken up from the earth into heaven and remains there on our behalf until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. That the very nature of what we're speaking is missional. It is of that need for you to know not only what has Christ done and fully done and completed and where he rules and reigns right now, but that there is a judgment coming, that all will bow the knee, but, but there is something to come. And yet the joy that you can say, well, what's Ascension Day all about? And he's in heaven for me, and he's preparing a place for me. That he is there at the right hand of the Father interceding for me and calling me his own. That he is there waiting for all of those times and seasons to be complete. And he's going to come again for me in the same way that he left. And what a day, glorious day that will be. See, we have a lot to say. A lot more to say than we say. 
because in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he even now is never absent from us. This is the Savior who has saved us. This is the King who reigns over us. And so ultimately, we have a ton of comfort and assurance to share with those we meet concerning the wonder of the gospel wrapped up in Jesus ascending to take his rightful place at the right hand of the Father in our flesh. So that as we hear Acts 1 this morning, I want to challenge you, tell someone the story of his ascension. If you want to wait till ascension day, you could, but why wait? There's a wonder that we can speak of that sovereignty and glory now as a part of our mission together to proclaim his gospel. And so Christians tell a story of comfort and assurance in the certain realities of Christ's ascension. And so as this book of Acts is written, in these verses, what we see in that story is one of proof, that's in verses 1 through 5, of power in verses 6 through 8, and then of a right kind of perspective in verses 9 through 11. Proof and power and perspective. Because that, at least in terms of our sharing the gospel, whether it's about the ascension or any of the other things about him, what we're still dealing up with is proof. Can you give me some proof? Certainly the world wants to dismiss the scriptures. Can you give me proof? But Christians, what kind of proof do we need? Because it isn't just unbelievers sometimes. I mean, what kind of proof do we need to actually live this testimony out and and share this story and, and be on mission together and do that work? Because sometimes even as we approach the story, the account of, of the ascension, we can take kind of a, a doubting Thomas stance ourselves. I won't believe it or I won't share it unless I can fully understand it or see it. And And yet, what of that proof that we're reminded of in John 20, verse 29? Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Have you believed because you've had an abundance of proofs? Is that the basis of your salvation? No, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so, on the one hand, it's very natural for the world to to want some kind of proof. They claim to be evidentiary, yet the number of proofs that you want to ask them for suddenly are not science, but are science, but aren't science. And so we have a better way. We have a better narrative. By faith, we share a story in the word we're given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the very power that is poured out because of Christ's ascension. We trust that we share the proof of this story in sharing the gospel, in sharing hope and assurance, that we're calling people, rightly so, and we don't have to be apologetic for it, to a matter of faith. It's the very nature of what we share, of believing in one who by his presence at that time proved the Father's love, who lived perfectly in every way, who taught his will always to those who had chosen, he had chosen. That we bring others before a risen king who reigns over a glorious kingdom that is already and not yet. A story that must be believed by faith. And so that isn't just a matter for other people. I wish they would believe that. Is it that which we've examined in our own hearts saying, this is the message I believe by faith. 
that this Jesus is mine, that he has done all this for me. That I would believe the account of the Jesus Christ who was seen and who is unseen by us, yet whose testimony is evident in his rule now and reign now over all things now. Not later, not waiting, now. As he cares for all things, as he cares for his elect people, as he gathers that people into his church. What we see even around us in this space and place Sunday by Sunday gives proof and witness to the reign of an ascended Christ. And so the ascension, brothers and sisters, is simply, even as Luke writes to Theophilus, simply another proof of the many proofs that he gave to the apostles and disciples in his appearing and teaching. He proves that he's exactly who he said he was. He proves that he's done exactly what he promised he would do. His ascension is that sign and proof That all of the glory in the salvation of those chosen and precious to him belongs to him and continues to remain before him at his throne. And so the story of the ascension then is a proof of three things that if you're taking notes, here's your takeaway. The first is this, the story of the ascension is a proof of the completed plan of God for salvation. I've done all things. Yes, it is finished on the cross, justification And yes, I've returned to you, resurrected life. I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to make you new. But I'm going to guarantee you that place. I'm going to rule over your life right now in every way, in every detail. I've completed that work because I rule, I reign. But I am a promise for you that that reign is never going to end and that I'm going to keep you. Second, the story of the ascension is a proof of the continuing plan of God for the same, which means he has a plan, which means as I look at my life, as I look at the life in the world or the life of my community or whatnot, and I start to question, God, how are you good? How are you ruling? How are you reigning? The ascension says, you don't have to question it. You might not understand it, but you don't have to question my rule and my reign. Because I am in the right hand of the Father, interceding for you, pledged to the same for you. And I will rule, and I will be glorified. But then third, the story of the ascension is a call then, a proof of what it is to wait upon the Father in the promised power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the opportunity to do it. Here is the opportunity of your witness. The proof of the purpose that he has for those people now that he has left. You have a story to share. You are the very proof of that which I have done. And so we wait upon the Father in the promised power of the Spirit. A story that should show itself forth in in repentance. We are a people who bow the knee and submit to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are the one that looks to Him in that proof for all things for our salvation. But it also shows itself in us, in proof, by way of a spirit-filled life. One lived by way of the power promised by way of his ascension as well. And that in the second place. Because what kind of power are we looking for? And here's where we need to rest, I think, a little bit more fully in understanding the ascension. And so I recognize that I've gone through those first five verses at rather breakneck speed, right? Here is Luke just simply saying, here's the book, here's what's happened, here's what Jesus has done, and now we get to the point where he's going to ascend. 
But what kind of power are we looking for? So yeah, we, we wanted proof. The proof is Jesus. The proof is his word. This is what we have. But that power, what kind of power are we looking for? Because indeed, as the apostles are given all of this proof and all of this promise, as they've had the physical presence of Jesus, as they have his teaching, what a powerful reality. Now, ours is no less powerful, but we consider that moment of all that they had, of what should have proffered to them just an overwhelming comfort and assurance of all that he had done for them and likewise then for us. But yet they, and if we're honest, we, we still want something else. There's still something working in us that says that there has to be a better benefit than that. that there's got to be something more for the now than just that, than just that. That the apostles, even in these last moments of enjoying that physical presence, wonder if there isn't more power for them and for God's people to exercise as they wait for his return. And I think this becomes a lot of the struggle within broader evangelicalism now, even I think within our churches in certain ways and trying to figure out the kingdom and its demand and, and how we're to live and what we wait for and what's our assurance and what are we building and do we redeem things and how many kingdoms are there and I think the ascension really speaks much of the truth into the heart of any of that argument. Because what is the question that the disciples ask? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom, of, restore the kingdom to Israel? So will you give it to us? Is this ours? You've taken it back and now we'll take it from here. Is this the time for an earthly kingdom? Will you establish your reign on earth through us like you did in your people before? Old Testament, theocracy, is that what we're looking for? Will you reign on the earth now over Rome and all the nations through us? There's edge to their question. What is our purpose? What power do we exercise? What is our place? And again, I would say if we're honest in our days, our current world and political context... We'd like to ask for the same if we haven't already asked for the same. And again, it is certainly how a number of authors and writers, even pastors, are calling God's people to believe right now. We need to go out and reestablish an earthly kingdom, an earthly dominion, giving some kind of nod to the authority of the Lord in His Word, but we will do so in whatever way and by whatever means necessary. It's a longing for significance. It's a longing for rule and reign now rather than submission to one who is already ruling and reigning now. It speaks to our heart. Because as we start to feel some of that persecution, some of that kind of struggle, we want power. We want place. We want status. We want influence and control and standing and exalted status even now. And we will claim as the day is long, we want it for noble ends, to end persecution, to protect life, to end suffering, to promote freedom and liberty now in places of leadership and authority. And yet the whole time he says, well, my kingdom is not of this world. That what you fight, 
is not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. That we can become so wrapped up in these physical things, in these realities, in this structure, along with the apostles, so fixed on times and seasons, dealing with the when of the kingdom, instead of giving ourselves so much more fully to the what and the how of the kingdom. Because that's what we're here for. That's what the ascension is proof of. And how we do that then matters. And so the question perhaps should have been, when you depart, Lord, what are we here for? And how does your kingdom come? What are we here for? And how does your kingdom come? And it's why Jesus in his graciousness, even in these last moments with them physically, seeks to fix their hearts and mind on the right questions concerning his power and purpose. So he gets the first one out of the way right away. It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the times and seasons fixed that the Father has fixed by his authority. But what is he saying? You live under his authority. That's your call in the world. That's your purpose. He's reigning now as the only king and sovereign over all. He is the one bringing his kingdom to bear and building and ruling over his church through the Lord and head of his church, even Jesus Christ. It's in this way that the apostles' question, frankly, is an unimportant one. It's not the right one, but it's not as important as they make it out to be, for God reigns. He always has, He always will. No matter what kingdom in this world claims to have control or power, our God is the sovereign King. Our King of kings and Lord of lords is at the right hand of the Father in our flesh, who is to be worshipped and glorified, who is to be obeyed and submitted to, for to Him belongs all the power and all the glory. That's your purpose. That's what you're here for. You make that known in every bit of who and what you are. That's what it's to live under the authority of a king. And yet he does promise great power to his people. Power he will grant. Because he will grant the power of his Holy Spirit. And that's why Christ must ascend. It's not good for me to stay. But when I go, I'm going to send you another. I'm going to send you a comforter, a paraclete. I'm going to send you the promised Holy Spirit. So that the Spirit may be sent in the fullness of that promised power. Which is how here it his kingdom comes. That as His Spirit goes further out and further in, in gathering a people to Himself, it is in the power and outworking of the Holy Spirit that His kingdom comes. So then for what is He sent to them? For what reason? Why does that power matter? So we can establish a kingdom, and we can have our own parties, and we can have our own stuff, and we can have our own rule and reign. No! It doesn't say that. It never says that. If his kingdom is come and still coming, if he is the only king and sovereign over all that takes place at the right hand of the Father on his throne, in this one who takes up that place, and if his spirit ushers in that kingdom, working his word and will in power, then I don't need to be given power for those things, and neither do you. 
If it's given for a time in the Lord's will and in his way, then we will take it up in humility before him. But that isn't the primary way. We don't need to be given power to rule and reign or establish an earthly kingdom. And so the more we focus our eyes on that rather than on the reason that he has given us power in the first place, we are going to miss it. And we are going to lead people violently astray from the gospel. You are given power and you are to speak this story for one concerted and connected purpose. And Jesus makes it plain to his apostles and disciples. You will be my witnesses. That's your purpose. That's your task amongst the society in which I have placed and the place that I have planted you. I will give you the power and strength and understanding and assurance you need to fulfill the words and work of the Great Commission as witnesses. Witnesses of the one who rules and reigns. Witnesses of the one who reconciles us to the one true king. Witnesses of the one who empowers us to live in the grace he provides as we make his glorious gospel known. You will be and are to be witnesses of all that you have seen and heard and received and will receive by the life-giving spirit who will be poured out in full after the ascension. And it's this congregation that was their kingdom come and still coming purpose. It is ours in the same, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. What are we here for? Why are we given power for that? Are we taking up our calling? Are we so worried about who the president is going to be and how we take back other structures rather than being about living witnesses of that Spirit's power that is in us and a gospel witness to a community of what life and flourishing and blessing is all about in the kingdom of Christ. Are we so busy building our own kingdoms and focusing on earthly ones in the same And its power is that we've stopped submitting ourselves to our only sovereign and eternal king. Are we looking for salvation and comfort in earthly kingdoms rather than in the king and lord of the church? Are we so much more focused on our desire for power and control, for ease and for comfort, that we've stopped extolling him and following the mission that he's given us in the gifts of his son, his word, and his spirit? Simply put, are our lives, are our mouths speaking a story of his purpose, of living a life for him in the power he has given us for the right, for the very thing? Because that story, the story of the gospel, must give witness to the pursuit of and the receipt of the right kind of power, even as we seek to fulfill our kingdom purpose as his witnesses. And so this too, along with a proof, is another call to repent. To repent of the fact that we've settled for far less. Far less comfort. Far less power. Far less purpose than what Christ has given us even in His ascension and the testimony of His Spirit. 
but it's also a call to believe. To speaking the true power of it in the power that you've been given. Namely, that his kingdom is established. That his kingdom has come, that he reigns. That he's fulfilling in us the purpose of gathering his chosen, his kingdom citizens to himself through the word of the Father, the Savior, and the Spirit. And in that kind of life of repentance and faith, one lived out. We're brought back to our story and to, again, the perspective that we need to go out on mission to together in that in the last place because we need to ask, well, then what kind of perspective do we operate with? Because in that moment, the apostles are given perspective. What are we to head after? What are we going to go after? What are we ultimately going to give our lives for? You see, it's a perspective we are to share by way of our thanks for Christ's ascension. Because we enjoy the benefits of that, not just on a, again, a seemingly random Thursday, but every day. We have the perspective not only to recognize those blessings, but to share in them in the story of our comfort. That what do I have to tell you? That Jesus is my advocate in heaven in the presence of the Father. That in Jesus I have my own flesh in heaven is a sure pledge that he, my head, will take me and all of his members to himself. That I know he sends his spirit to me on earth as a corresponding pledge. So that by that same Spirit's power, I would not seek earthly things, but things that are above where Christ is sitting at God's right hand. Is my life wrapped up in those things? In response to the completed work of Christ, am I given to that? Because this is the promise we hold on to for comfort and assurance in knowing that the Savior is in heaven in my flesh. Which means I can have and am to have a heavenly perspective. So brothers and sisters know in the great promise made by Christ of power and kingdom, the apostles are given and so are we, that perspective. Eyes directed away from an earthly kingdom because God is sovereign. And because I can find my hope and comfort most fully in the one who lifts up such kingdoms and causes them to fall whose kingdom is come, even as I pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That his reign is established and rules over all, even in the truth that it is still coming. Yes, and it will come in all of its power and perfection. And so check your eyesight a little bit. Our perspective is not to be full of the world now outside of our purpose in it. And yet our perspective cannot, on the other hand, be dominated by heaven-gazing as we await Christ's return. There is no holy passivity involved. We know that he reigns, so I don't need to work for the good of my neighbor, or to do civic good, or to take up office, or to run for school board, or to take care of the finances of a township. It's not what it's saying. And so, yes, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Yes, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And yet that gazing and longing then as we run this race with perseverance must serve as a call and guarantee to take up our purpose, to take it up truly in the power and promise of His Spirit. Because I want you to hear this, His kingdom comes 
in the salvation of sinners. His kingdom comes in lives lived in grace and gratitude where he is served in every sphere of life for his praise and glory. His kingdom comes as we bow to his submission knowing that he claims every square inch of this creation is his. His kingdom comes. And so we can do this because of his power and promise. We can be thankful for God's faithfulness as we look behind us. We can be eagerly expectant for this Jesus who goes before us, the very one in our flesh in heaven who will come in the same way those apostles and disciples saw him go into heaven. And so, brothers and sisters, his ascension and its benefits provide us an informed and present perspective, one of surety and hope and purpose as we live out an empowered Christ witness and all we speak and live, giving needful testimony of the rule and reign and blessing of a triune God? Is your story sharing that? Is your story lived before the world and spoken to the world? Lived in that. For as you consider the story you're called to as a witness, How does your perspective right now need to be shaped by the reality of his ascension? How is that truth operating in you as a part, a vital part, of your comfort and hope? How is his ascension driving you in your purpose, in all you work for, in all you give witness to, in word and deed, to making known the right rule and reign of a sovereign God, to making known his call of submission to you, to Christ, to love Christ, to long for the return of Christ and of your desire to more and more see the coming of and fullness of His kingdom and its righteousness. And that's a call, Christian, simply then to believe. Believe in what He's promised. Believe in what the angels speak. Believe the good news of Christ and of His ascension in the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you that which he has given you for a purpose. Because he's reigning as king. He always is. You don't need to take that place. You ought not to seek to take that place. So then in the comfort and assurance and hope of a light and easy burden, ardently follow him in the freedom that he gives you to do so, looking only to him by faith in his word and the power of his Holy Spirit which is a marvelous story to give witness to, for he is a marvelous ascended Savior. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of this word, for the wonder and the power of what that ascension means for us and what you have given to us. Lord, we, we confess to you that we think far too little, not often enough, of your kingship and what that means for us and for the world around us and how your kingdom is made manifest and how we are ruled and reigned over by your Spirit. And so, Father, we pray, bring us clarity in these things. But, Lord, a great sense of thankfulness for the comfort and assurance that is ours in our ascended Savior. Father, we pray that as you continue to gather your church, as you build your kingdom here, as we see it manifest by way of your Word and Spirit, we pray. Bless the work of your church as she seeks to go out in kingdom labor under the same. Father, we pray, would you bless our giving? Would you bless our service? And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.